May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here this morning. It's not raining. Yay. <clears throat> Man. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from Ephesians. The big idea is we are to reject what destroys community and promote what builds community. Reject what destroys community, those things that get in the way of community, and promote those things which uh, develop and, and help us get together better. Or as I said last week, if you're Fred Hill, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. Meaning, you can talk a good game, but if the way you live doesn't coincide with what you say, it's all for nothing. And people see it. If you say, I'm a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ and act in ways that don't reflect that, it's really, really obvious. So what we want to do is be consistent. In Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, that was uh, last week, the Apostle Paul makes the point that Christians are to be different. We are not to walk as unbelievers walk. That is in the blindness, darkness, and hardness of their hearts. They tend to be insensitive, immoral, unclean, and greedy. But we're to be like Christ, to put off the old man and put on the new man. We are to exchange the old lifestyle for a new one. And these verses today list specific categories in which the exchanges are to occur. So Paul's going to talk about lying and stealing and anger and unforgiveness and those things. And he talks about those things because they're just human nature. I mean, he's writing this almost 2,000 years ago, and here we are in the 21st century, and we get around differently, and we communicate differently, and we eat differently, and we have medical care differently, and we dress differently, and it's just all different, but it really, in so many ways, it's the same. It's the same issues that were infecting his church that infects our world today, whether it's um, lying or stealing or anger or all those things that he's going to address in these verses this morning, we still have to deal with. And none of these commands in this passage can be followed as long as the primary interest is me. Unless I turn all of my attention to God, I'm never going to be able to get out from under these things that sort of sit on top of me. And, and that's because I'm helpless. I am helpless to overcome those things which want to control me, want to take me over. And you've heard, you've ever said, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I, what am I thinking? Why did I say that? Well, you said it because you're trying to overcome it yourself. And anybody who has ever tried willpower to overcome some issue that they're dealing with, you know how that works. It works for a little while, but ultimately it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't last. It's not until you declare your helplessness and turn it over to God that things really begin to change in a lasting, permanent way. So Paul says to put off these things. Put off means to throw away. Think of it as an old coat or something that you're getting rid of. Um, you don't need it anymore. It's not useful. It's of no value. It doesn't fit. It's not who you are anymore. And he's saying throw it away, get rid of it, and get clothed with Christ. He first talks about lying. Therefore, putting away false 
uh, falsehood. Let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Tell the truth. Remember, a lie is something contrary to, tr to the truth. My, my definition more of lying is lying is, is saying something with the intent to deceive. You've heard me say that a thousand times. Maybe there's a misleading headline. So-and-so accused of murder. Now, the paper doesn't like this person, and they've been accused of murder. But in paragraph 10, you find that all the charges have been dropped and there's no case. What do they want you to do? They want you to read the headline and move on. They don't expect you to read to the 10th paragraph and find out that the, that the headline was a lie. Somebody wrote that headline with the intent to deceive you into thinking that somebody had committed a murder. Over and over and over again, we see this kind of thing happen, especially in our day. Okay? We can do it personally. It can be, it can be in, in a privately, publicly, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, also, there's this idea of equivocation. Anybody ever, anybody know who Fuller Warren is? Fuller Warren. He was the governor of Florida in the 1950s. Okay? And he was running for office in a year that counties were voting their local option on permitting the sale of liquor. As for his position on wet versus dry, he would say, if by whiskey you mean the water of life that cheers men's souls, that smooths out the, ten the tensions of the day, that gives gentle perspective to one's view of life, then put my name on the list of the fervent wets. But if by whiskey you mean the devil's brew that rends families, destroys careers, and ruins one's ability to work, then count me in the ranks of the drives. Huh? What? You really can't have it both ways, but apparently he got elected anyway. The deal on, uh, I love the side, I saw a sign once. I forget where we were. So if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. If you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything, you know. So, so if, I'm, if I'm doing something, if I, if, if I got to say something to Matthew, th do I have to, what did I say to Karen? Wait a minute, well, let me get, what did I tell her? Because I know they talk. What? Okay, let me. Okay, let me. Get, I got to get this straight, because otherwise. But if I just tell you the truth all the time, I don't have to remember what I told you, because it was the truth, and I don't have to remember what I told you, because it's the truth, right? So just make sure, you know, you don't have to wonder about what you said to so and so. Lying destroys community. It destroys relationships, and the problem with telling a lie is if I know you've lied to me, I can't trust you anymore. If I've known you've lied to me, then it's really, really difficult for me to believe anything you say after that because typically you've been acting in your own self-interest. Okay? Like a child. You've got to train them young. So the dog, or the child breaks the lamp and blames it on the dog. Okay? You saw it happen. You know what happened, and the kid is insisting the dog did it. That is a teaching moment for that young person, okay? I know what happened. I saw what happened. You just lied to me. And because you've lied to me, it will be difficult for me now to believe what you tell me in the future. 
You never want to be in that position. People lie because lying, telling the truth is going to make them look bad. Simple. Or it's going to hurt them or it's going to deny them something. So they try to get out of a bad situation by telling a lie. But ultimately, the truth is always better than a lie. He says we're all members one of another. Uh, Ephesians is really all about the body of Christ, the unity of the church. And you, lying is always divisive. And we kind of see it everywhere. I don't, there's so many issues in the world right now, I don't know what to believe. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to believe. It's just a mess. And people act in their own self-interest and are trying to get me to believe one thing or another about X, Y, or Z. And now I'm digging and doing my own research and that sort of thing, listening to people that I trust and not listening to people that I don't trust. And I've lost their, they've lost my trust because they've lied. It's a sad situation, but it's kind of where we are. You know? Um, store manager, hears his clerk tell a customer, no ma'am, we haven't had any for a while, and it doesn't look like we'll be getting any soon. Horrified, the manager came running over to the customer and said, of course we have some, we'll have some soon. We placed an order last week. Then the manager drew the clerk aside. Never, he snarled, never, never, never say we're out of anything. Say we've got it on order and it's coming. Now, what was it she wanted? Rain. saying, <laughs> writing letters of recommendation can be hazardous. Tell the truth and you might get sued if the contents are negative. Robert Thornton, a professor at Lehigh University, has a collection of virtually litigation-proof phrases called the Lexicon of Intentionally Ambiguous Recommendations, L-I-A-R. To declare, to describe an inept person, I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. To describe an ex-employee who had problems getting along with fellow workers, I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. To describe an unproductive candidate, I can assure you that no person would be better for this job. Right? To describe, to describe an applicant not worth consideration, I would urge you to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of employment. Lying is the intent to deceive. Be careful. Anger. It says, be angry, but do not sin. There's righteous and there's unrighteous anger. Uh, it really is for all about the motivation. You can be angry and sin or be angry and not sin. Your motivation is the deciding factor. And remember, anger is always a secondary emotion. You don't get angry for no reason. Something happened to trigger anger in you, righteous or unrighteous. All right? Somebody did something, somebody said something, something did happen, didn't happen, whatever it might be, all of a sudden, you're angry, you're upset, 
and it can be righteous or it can be unrighteous. Righteous anger is Jesus in the temple. Why was he angry? He was angry because the chief priests were cheating the people, taking advantage of the people in the temple. You could only pay the temple tax with temple coin. And in order to get the temple coin, you had to exchange the coin that would use in the market for the temple currency. And guess who had the temple currency that they would be happy to exchange for you to you with an exorbitant exchange rate? And they made, a, they made a killing. You had to bring an animal that was unblemished, and you bring the best you've got. But it always had a blemish, apparently. But, you know, right back here we've got all these unblemished animals that are owned by the chief priests, and we can let you buy one so you can sacrifice it. Jesus said, enough of this. And he's overturning tables. He's throwing people out. Righteous anger. Our righteous anger might look like our reaction to injustice and corruption. Injustice and corruption when, when innocent people are being taken advantage of. Um, I know I'm getting angry these days when I see criminals that are not being held accountable for their actions. Police that are on the ropes because they can't do their job because their hands have been tied. There was one guy in New York City got, got arrested for robbing, a, attempting to rob a bank, put in jail, let go. Next day, attempted to rob a bank, put in jail. Four days in a row, the guy is out trying to rob a bank. What are the cops supposed to think? What am I, what am I risking my life for? You know? I mean, that's an injustice. That is unrighteousness, and I think that, in, in me at least, I consider that to be righteous anger. There's lots of other examples like that. Unrighteous anger tends to be selfish. I didn't get what I wanted. You're not doing what I want. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react and lash out at you. It's easy. It, you know, the difference between a, a match, if, a, if you light a match, it's a fire, you can put it out. But once the building is burning down, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Never go to bed angry. Right, Kathy? Or me, or you. I'm just saying. If you got to stay up all night, don't, don't do it. I would also say, never Leave home angry. Never separate angry. All right? Even if it means you miss the meeting or you miss the flight, don't leave home when you're angry. What if you didn't come back? What if something happened and, and they never saw, you never saw each other again? The last memory you're going to have is a fight. Somebody was angry. Don't leave home. Don't separate one from another when you're angry. Don't do it. Stealing is a big problem back in those days. Let me, let me just do this. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game. See, now Charlie had to remind me that the New York Yankees just beat the Red Sox 9-1. to one. Did you say 9-1? to one? See, now, if I really cared about the Red Sox as much as I used to, Charlie, it could make me angry, but I'm not because I love you. And... And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, I'm going to tell a joke about the uh, Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox. Though. It's not a joke. It's a true story. 
I'm going to check that score, though. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game, but what happened next was anything but routine. The Orioles' manager, John McGraw, got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players from both teams had joined the brawl. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. Among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the stands, and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well. Not good. That's because John McGraw got into a fight with the first baseman, and the grandstands burned down, and 107 other buildings were burned to the ground as well because anger got out of control. That's what I was going to say with the match. You can blow the match out, but once the building is on fire, it's impossible. So when you, when you, when you feel that coming, when you start that, you just get that sensation, you better, you better get a hold of it. Ask God to get a hold of it for you, because if you try on your own, you'll fail. Stealing. Um, there's a commandment about that. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. In fact, the first, one of the first sins that's judged in the New Testament is uh, Ananias and Sapphira had a little land deal that went sour because they, didn't, they weren't honest with the church. It was their proceeds, but they could have done whatever they want, but they lied about it, and they stole from the church, and next thing you know, they're both dead. There's more than just taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. Biblical stealing... Non-payment of debts, falsifying account books, cheating on taxes, not paying a fair wage, all of those things are considered to be stealing. We have a current problem with stealing, where stealing has almost been made legal. In California right now, if you can walk out of a store not paying for things if you haven't taken more than $950 worth of stuff. So you'll see videos of people with these oversized garbage bags filled with merchandise walking out of the store, and the guards are just looking at them, watching them go. In San Francisco, Walgreens has closed 17 stores because people just take stuff, and they're not paying, and they can't keep going. How that happened, I don't know. Why that continues, I don't know. It's, it's maddening. That's, I have righteous anger over that. The police are helpless, and it's just a mess. The, the shop owners... It's not just big box stores. It's happening in smaller stores, too. And apparently, with the political leaders, that's okay. Um, you may remember the Saturday Evening Post cover that dealt, dealt with this particular commandment, Thou shalt not steal. The picture I'm referring to shows a woman buying a fresh turkey for Thanksgiving. The bird is lying on the scales, and the butcher is standing in the back of the counter, apron pulled tight over his fat stomach, pencil tucked behind his ear. The customer, a lady looking to be around about 60 years young, stands watching with the weighing of the big bird. In the picture, both the lady and the butcher have pleased looks on their faces as if each knows a secret joke. Now... To see the reason for their knowing smiles, you have to look closely at their hands, for the butcher is pushing down on the scale with his big fat thumb, and the woman is pushing up on the other side with a dainty forefinger. Neither is aware of what the other is doing, so both apparently think they're getting the best of the other, stealing without the other even knowing. I don't remember the caption, but I suppose it could be something like, 
the case of the butcher's thumb and the lady's forefinger, but whatever its title, it does serve to illustrate our attitude toward the Eighth Commandment. You see, both the butcher and the lady would resent being called thieves. The lady would never rob a bank or steal a car, and if the butcher had a customer to give him a bad check, he would call the police and report a crime. But neither saw anything wrong with a little finger or thumb deception that would make a few cents uh, for one or save a few cents for the other. And we're much like these two. We agree that this is, um, this is a good commandment, but we don't think it really applies to us. After all, we're not thieves, you know. Do I ever take something that doesn't belong to me? Am I, am I guilty of stealing time from someone else? Just thinking about my life as I go through this, this life of mine, you know. I want to I give a, a day's work for a day's wage, for example, that kind of thing. That's what um, Paul says in uh, Thessalonians. He said, if anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own family, he has disowned, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you can work, you should work. If you're able-bodied and you're, and you're able to work, you should work. Now, I know in Ocala there's a scarcity of jobs. You know, I mean, I can't see a, I haven't seen a help-wanted sign in so long, I, I don't even, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I told you the story, Kathy and I were at the Outback and there was a young man, and I said, I appreciate the fact that you're actually working. Why are you working? And he said, well, I'm 25. I, I have opportunities now that I wouldn't have had if everybody was here. I spent, last night I did my first solo shift at the, as a bartender. I have a 26-year-old brother who's living at home with my parents, getting the check. He could work, but he's chosen not to. I have my own apartment. I want to make something of my life. Now, who do I want to hire? I want to I work with that guy, not his brother, because he's just taking something for nothing. And more and more and more, we see that as, a, as kind of an ethic in our nation. And it's not good for the country. It's not good for the people that are practicing it either, because there's something about working. There's something about working it and receiving a fair wage for what you do because you're making a contribution to your society and your nation and your community and your family. It's biblical. The worldly approach to wealth is to hoard it. Godly view is to work hard to provide for the needs and to do good to others. When you bless other people, God blesses you. You don't do it. You don't give in order to get. But when you do give, you get. It's just kind of a rule. When you're generous with what you have, God is generous with you. And again, that's not a give-to-get attitude. It's a give because God has blessed me with this, and I want to bless other people. He said, let no evil talk come out of your mouth. What that is is corrupt speech. It's rotten, worthless, unclean, or diseased. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they talk. Do you think? An attitude tone of voice, the level of volume, the words that they use, the facial expression. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they speak. 
good or for ill. And what Paul is saying, let your speech be edifying. Let it be edifying. Ask yourself, is what I'm going to say going to help or hurt? Will it build up or tear down? And oh, by the way, why am I saying this anyway? What is the purpose of this comment that I'm about to make? Is it to hurt the other person? Is it to make myself look good? Is it to help the conversation move in a direction that's, uh, that's positive and helpful? You always want to move the conversation in a direction that makes sense and it's going to come to some kind of resolution to whatever the issue is you're talking about. Not something that just pours gas on the fire and keeps the negativity going, which a lot of people enjoy doing, apparently, for whatever reason. Conversation should be gracious, I'll tell you. I call Advent Hospital, and there are two ladies that I love when they answer the phone. One is Paula, and the other is Ruth. Been there forever. Paula answers the phone. She said, Advent Hospital, how may I serve you? And I said to her the other day, I said, Paula, when you say that, it blesses me. And I wish all the people from Christ the King went to Advent so I could call and get that greeting from you to find out what room they're in. And she just melted. I don't think people say that very often. You call some other places, and you, it almost sounds like, what do you want? Uh, what? Who? Oh, I'll look. I don't know. They don't say it that way. They don't say those words, but it sounds like that's what they're really saying. And, you know, is your words, are your words gracious? It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve means sadden. You cannot grieve a stranger. You can make them angry and upset, but you can't grieve them. You can only grieve someone that you have a close relationship with. You can only hurt the heart of someone that you have a close relationship with. And Paul is assuming that Christians have a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve or sadden the Holy Spirit by what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're thinking, how you're acting, all those things. The Holy Spirit gets grieved when I act like the old Don and not the new Don. When I engage in unrighteous anger, when I do things that don't reflect who I say I am. So then he kind of ends up by saying, clean up your act, get rid of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Clamor means violent public outbursts. I don't know about you. I've seen some clips of people on, a, on planes lately. Have you? Not, okay. When did you retire? Last October? Okay, Steve, when did you retire? This, this is a Southwest airline pilot, American airline pilot, right? Okay, did you ever see anything when you were flying like what we see today on these planes with all the brawls and the fights? You did? Did you? Very rare, seven years ago, but you're, you're just recently retired. Really? And y did you see this kind of building? Bit the flight attendant. Kicked. Oh, my gosh. Did she have it coming? Oh, sorry. You never know. I mean, 
But here we have seven years ago, and Steve says it's extremely rare that anything like that would happen on a plane. And, and you know, um, Jeff has the – Jeff is – last October, and he said more and more of it. There's something happening in our culture where that is more common than it used to be, a public uh, outcry, um, violence. Violence in the streets, in big cities now. You see, you see an old lady getting beaten up by some guy on the street, and people are just walking by, looking at it, or they're doing this, getting a video of it, while the old lady is getting beaten up. And then the guy that does it just walks away. No big deal. This is not the way God wants us to live. This is not the way God wants society to operate, and certainly not the way He wants the church to be. We've got to come together and live our lives as godly people. He says, be kind and forgiving one another. And I'll tell you, God forgave me when I didn't deserve it. And he forgave you when you didn't deserve it. In The Christian Leader, Don Ratzleff retells the story Vernon Grounds came across in Ernest Gordon's Miracle on the River Kwai. The Scottish soldiers, forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad, had degenerated to barbarous behavior. The Scottish soldiers were barbarous, not the Japanese. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. When nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got his gun and threatened to kill them all on the spot. It was obvious the officer meant what he had said. Then finally, one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun, picked up a shovel, and beat the man to death. When it was over, the survivors picked up the bloody corpse and carried it with them to the second tool check. This time, no shovel was missing. Indeed, there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. The word spread like wildfire through the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save the other. The incident had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. When the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, human skeletons, lined up in front of their captors and instead of attacking their captors, insisted, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Sacrificial love has transforming power. That kind of thing. Can't you silence your phone? What's the matter with you? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Must be the Holy Spirit. Hmm? <laughs> Kathy says it's time to wrap up. Okay. I will now wrap up. If Christians never lied, but always spoke the truth, never became angry, in a sinful way, but always acted in love, never stole, but always shared, never spoke in a coarse manner, but always spoke edifying words, were never bitter, wrathful, resentful, violent, or slanderous, but were always characterized by kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, don't you think the world would pay attention to our message? So we need to examine ourselves. Do I speak the truth? Do I have control over my anger so that it operates only in righteousness? Do 
Do I share my resources with others? Do I speak graciously? Am I kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving? If I am a new man or woman in Christ, 